the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified exclusively here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back into time, and we go exploring back into the glory days of professional wrestling, back into the mid-1990s. Maybe some call it the Dark Ages, but the WWF called it the New Generation and we dig into a new topic every single week. And this one will be just like all the other shows we've done talking about some new generation action. And usually I would introduce my crack broadcast team, but they have been given the week off yet again due to uh, circumstances beyond everyone's control. Get well, boys, both of you. Uh, and welcoming into the uh, to the crack broadcast team chair is a very uh, well-established veteran of the podcasting scene, the co-host of front row material with ECW legends, Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipwreck. A, uh, we'll call you like, uh, instead of an ECW legend, we'll call you like, um, like me, you're flunky of ECW legend. <laughs> Mr. That Mike. Very true. <laughs> Man, it's good to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on here. And I can't wait to, uh, to talk a little, uh, WWF action because, uh, I, I finally remember this time and, and we can go down memory lane and, and kind of swap some stories here. Yeah, absolutely. And and for people like us, guys who grew up in that era, you know, if you stayed with it and a lot of people did leave and, you know, they, they got interested in other things out there, you know, whatever floats your boat. They, that's what people were exploring. The ones that stayed with the wrestling business were in a little bit of a, a sticky situation for about a four year period because you weren't getting the same stuff you were used to watching when you were a kid and you just weren't ready for what they were going to throw at you in the late 90s and the attitude era so this new generation what we've talked about on this show is for people who've never watched it before and we did have somebody on with us who has never seen any of the stuff that happened during this era they come to realize that yeah there's a lot of stuff that needs to be uncovered and what this show is is we we right off the bat we will not tell you we are experts we will not tell you that we're gonna uh reinvent the wheel we're not telling you something that's not already out there but what we give you is that unique experience of being people who've been now around the wrestling world, but also experienced all this stuff as a fan and looking back at it with adult eyes versus maybe preteen teen or uh, young adult eyes. You kind of see that the, uh, the wrestling world was in a, uh, a transition back in the mid nineties. Yeah, it definitely was. It was one of those things where, you know, it was weird because you had that big boom in the late eighties, early nineties. And then right around the, I would say, eight, nine WrestleMania things started to change. A lot of faces started to go away. New faces started to show up and it was, uh, it was a transition period. It was a, uh, it was definitely a growing pains. 
Yeah, it was because, you know, we talked about on, on almost every show, you know, for every young guy that's still, you know, trying to make their way up the uh, the ladder, you know, you still have your appearances by Hacksaw Jim Duggan or you still have, you know, Kamala's hanging around a little bit or you got, uh, you know, Rick Martell. We talked about him a lot with the Intercontinental Battle Royal uh, with him and Razor Ramon being the last two participants and then having a one on one match. And. Here we are in the new generation where you're thinking, well, we're supposed to see these new guys being built. Rick Martell puts on a stellar, you know, amazing marquee match from the early days of Monday Night Raw. And it's going, well, this guy was the AWA champion in 1985, you know, so not exactly new generation material, but. Nonetheless, for all the young guns that we're going to talk about, for all the guys that were sending up the card, you still had that balance of the people that we were used to watching in those Federation years, which is where everybody, for the most part, kind of came in the front door. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think it's one of those things where it's kind of nice to have that delicate balance where you have introducing new guys, yet you're still keeping your audience um, with some of the people that they're most familiar with. So you're kind of keeping them in, introducing some new people, and trying to expose the audience to maybe some new talent. And like you said before, Rick Martell, awesome talent, and uh, still hanging around, still getting his thing done. Yeah, and then look, even a few years down the road, Rick Martell would have a great run in WCW before he injured his back and, and had to retire. He was still in great shape. He was putting on amazing TV title matches with Booker T., uh, on multiple months worth of shows and it was an absolute you know travesty that he hurt his back the way he did and his career ended so rick martell you know he still was in amazing shape and he could keep up with the somehow younger guys i mean he wasn't old by any stretch but it just was the established faces and the names that had been around the business for a long time because hell razor ramon you know, no spring chicken in terms of the wrestling fan because he's in the AWA in the mid 80s and Shawn Michaels is in the AWA in the mid 80s. It was just the kind of changing of the guard of those established names, your Macho Mans, your Hulk Hogan's, your Ultimate Warriors, you know, and even Flair going back to WCW. It, it was those guys getting filtered out and giving the chance of all the other guys who were on the card and on the, uh, the roster that chance to kind of sneak in. So where did you kind of fall? At this point in uh, and we say either it started when Bret Hart beats uh, Ric Flair at the tail end of 92 or I say it starts uh, just about the, the debut of Monday Night Raw. So where were you kind of falling in the uh, the new generation era? I think it does happen shortly after Saskatoon. I think it does, because I think when you see Flair lose and then Bret Hart finally gets the push, you start to get the feeling that they're going to go in a different direction. They're going to go with somebody who they feel like they could build multiple years with. And I don't necessarily think they ever felt like they could have multiple years with Rick. Plus I didn't think Rick wanted to necessarily be there. You know, his heart definitely was still in the South, but yeah, Saskatoon was a big thing. Brett obviously gets the, uh, the passing of the torch. I feel like that phrase gets used quite often, sometimes uh, a little uh, too much, but I would say that was right about the, the era of when things really started to change. Yeah, I, sometimes when I look at that, and you know, you read Brett's book, and you've seen all these shoot interviews. You talk, read Flair's book. You hear everybody's kind of take on on that whole thing. I don't even know if it was so much a passing of the torch to the fact that they they knew Flair wasn't staying, and they wanted to get it on somebody, and it just so happened Flair 
was the guy. And, you know, people like uh, Tito Santana have come out and said that, you know, he had been under consideration to be uh, the next WWF champion. They wanted a more international uh, superstar. Uh, Ted DiBiase even said that there was a chance they were going to circle back to him and he might get a shot at at being a world champion. So it's kind of weird that the passing of the torch was almost like they had to make a move to somebody and okay, well, here's the guy who's the best worker on the card uh, is believable with whoever we pair him with, whether it's the Berserker or Mr. Perfect or the British Bulldog or Shawn Michaels. And Brett was the uh, ipso facto guy. He was he was there. But so you're going to fall in the it happens shortly after Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where Bret Hart beats Mr. Per- uh, excuse me, Ric Flair. Yeah, I do. I think it does happen in that time frame. And you touched upon a really good point here because having Brett had the international uh, element, the international flavor, he was obviously somebody that the WWF could market around kids. That was definitely a big plus for them as well. So I feel like they have things on their checklist that they're like, ah, this fits this criteria. Perfect. And the other thing you mentioned, which was really good, was you could really put Brett in the ring with just about anybody, and it would work, and it would look good. I think because Brett definitely had the ability to sell really well. So whether it was Mr. Perfect or whether it was the Berserker or a Bastion Booger or whoever, um, Brett was one of those universal plug-and-chug guys. It was a very algebraic equation, and I think it made a lot of sense, especially when they knew they were going to be going into some tumultuous times. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine today is a former WWE superstar who was telling me that, you know, they were they were talking about promo classes and how, you know, in, in promo classes, they would teach you the basics of, you know, hey, so and so this Saturday night in Albany, New York, you know, I'm going to take you from pillar to post and blah, blah, blah. And he said he would take the template of a Bret Hart stand up where, you know, Bret Hart would be on superstars and they'd say, you know, oh, let's go to Bret Hart, who's got words tonight about facing the Mountie. And Bret Hart would name four guys in the in the promo of, you know, I'm a I'm a fighting champion. I'll take on all comers, whether it's the Mountie or Rick Martell or the Berserker or Virgil or whoever. And a guy like Bret, you could sit there and go, you know what? I'd watch every single one of those matches and I would enjoy every single one of them because even though Bret's the, the excellence of execution, the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. I think Virgil could take him to the limit because he's, he's he makes everything that much more believable. So Brett, really, the best guy you, you could have picked to, to fill that spot. You, you you use a really good word there, believability. Brett was one of those guys that when you would put him in a match, it wasn't one of those over-dominating performances such as like a Brock Lesnar or right. if you were to put somebody in there with, let's use somebody from that era, Ahmed Johnson. Uh, he was one of those guys that would bring the best out of everybody and he would highlight what they could do. But yet at the end of the day, you still feel like you got what you wanted. You got a Bret Hart victory. Right. But you also got to see something more from those guys that you typically don't get to see a lot from. And I'm going to go grab my Bret Hart foam heart from the merch stand as I'm leaving <laughs> the, uh, the house show. Because now that I'm invested in Bret, I've already got his sunglasses. I've already got his uh, pink shirt. Making uh, pink shirts cool at a time when it wasn't that cool to wear a pink shirt. And, uh, you know, you got to go grab your sharpshooter Bret Hart uh, heart from the uh, the foam finger uh, selection, which we've talked about on the show. The foam finger <laughs> selection, quite abundant during the new generation era, to say the least. Yeah. Did, you, did you have any foam fingers back then? I didn't have any foam fingers. I did have uh, – I had a Bret shirt. I had the Bret glasses. 
obviously had the 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 foam belt which good god almighty thank goodness for the development of better belts now that we're adults because <laughs> when we were younger let's be honest they didn't even remotely look like oh, what was on terrible. tv they were terrible but, uh, the, the tag team one did they did replicate the tag team belt for some reason agreed. but the intercontinental was just a, br a bronze version of what the world title was which was like gray it was the shits it was terrible and for the price too you're you're looking in that catalog and you're like oh man i want to get a belt and then all of a sudden you look at it and you're like yeah you know what i, I really don't want to get a belt anymore <laughs> so but that that's the way merchandising was at the time but thank god we had the sunglasses and Boy, I tell you what, it was during this time they really started pumping that hard. Yeah. Oh, but the sunglasses you're talking about? Absolutely. Oh, I would love to know yeah. what the moneymaker was on that. Let me tell you something. The sunglasses went from being something that had been sitting in that catalog forever. Because if you're a fan from the 80s, the silver sunglasses were always being mm -hmm. sold. And I was, I, I, in retrospect, wish that I had gotten the silver glasses. Because I don't even think they've gone back to make like a replica set. I know they've done it in years past with the pink glasses. Mm -hmm. But... I, you're right. What was that like? It was literally, and if anybody you know knows the Bret Hart glasses he wears to the ring when they marketed them and they sold them either at the house shows or through the magazine, it was literally like a film. Like I don't even know what kind of reflective film with a <laughs> piece of foam around it with literally like I wouldn't even say it was like a pipe cleaner, but it was some like weird plasticky circular tube that went through <laughs> and that was your Bret Hart sunglasses that you paid $6 for, or by the time he was gone, probably $10 at the merch stand. That was probably the best piece of merchandise they had during that era. It was because it was one of those things where people could get it. People all could wear it. And then people could, you know, I want to get the best seat because I know he goes around and signs it. So <laughs> that plays a big aspect into people wanting to get them. But, but no, you're right. It was literally, let, let's be very honest. It was the cheapest thing it was like that mylar uh material and i found yeah. out my it was like what they put pop tarts in and the little foam around the eyes and a little strappy band that if you have a bigger head than normal that's some bitch is gonna break but you can uh, literally rest it on the top you pretend you're him you can rest it up here like yes. cutting a promo because if you brought it down it would stretch it out and it would just you it would be deformed you couldn't put it back on like now, not to say you would be driving down whereas you might see today people wearing a mask <laughs> when they're driving in their car people were not wearing their bret hart sunglasses in the car as they were on their way to a, a wwf house show <laughs> De definitely not and i don't even know if it would really work as a functional pair of sunglasses maybe it would maybe it wouldn't um i think i still have it in my collection of wrestling stuff but yeah interesting at that time but i think they sold like hotcakes Oh, mine, mine's long gone. That was that was an early uh, eBay sale back in, you know, 2003 when I think <laughs> I missed the boat on them because, I mean, the originals now, they go for a couple hundred bucks. If you ever see one sealed, I mean, they could go for five, six hundred dollars still uh, sealed. And then what Bret Hart and his marketing team did, they ended up selling a replicated pair through his uh, his website, which I think from time to time they'll do it as like an annual deal. Um, but that to me, that is like the smartest thing that they could possibly do is, uh, is something like that. So uh, we're going to talk about a little bit, the British Bulldog versus Shawn Michaels feud from mid 96. But before we get into that, I just want to talk to you more about uh, the kind of fan you were during that era. So who was your guy during the new generation years? Wow. During the new generation years, uh, I was really a, a one, two, three kid fan, believe it or not. Really? <laughs> That's a good I, one. <laughs> I liked him a lot just because he was, 
He had that energy. He was a high flyer, especially in a time when the WWF didn't have a ton of those guys. I thought he was exciting. I, I love the match that he had with Razor Ramon. I mean, oh, yeah, I completely absolutely. popped when he beat him on Raw. So I had a lot of emotional investment into Sean Waltman. And to see him grow throughout the years was awesome. But yeah, to see what he did with a lot of different guys was was pretty cool. He was he was one of my main guys. So so what was it about him though? The fact that you know he was doing the moon salts, he was doing the you know the flying you know leg, you know dr- not even drop kick like that flying in Zaguri or whatever that he would do. You know like there's a lot of different moves he introduced, but. You know, I had heard his name for years as the Lightning Kid. You read PWI, you see his picture, and then you see him as a job guy, and he's getting beat on Superstars, and then all of a sudden he beats Razor Ramon, and he, he's off to the races. Now, do you like him as singles, one, two, three, kid, or do you like him as Razor Ramon's buddy, the one, two, three, kid? Oh, I think as the buddy, that was the, that was just the, uh, the cherry on top of the Sunday. I think that put him into a different stratosphere, but... I originally liked him even prior to the Razor Ramon thing just because everything was crisp and it snapped and it was fast. And, you know, in the 80s, and you know this just like I do, that it was it was slow. It was methodical. It was a bunch of bulky guys. And with the exception of maybe a Shawn Michaels or Marty Jannetty, a lot of it was very slow. It was a different approach to wrestling. And now you get this injection of faster paced. It was a lot more exciting. You know, raised on the Hulk Hogan years, you know, we always said Hulk Hogan needed a uh, a buddy. You know, he always needed his friend, whether it was Hillbilly Jim or Mean Gene or then Macho Man and Beefcake. You know, Hogan always needed a bud. And I liked the pairing of Razor Ramon and One Two Three Kid, being that they went from enemies to to pals, because it it seemed you know like it was a natural kind of you know uh, oddball friendship, but. It just is weird when you look back at it, especially like, you know, how we talked about a few weeks ago on, on the show, the million dollar corporation, when they out of nowhere turn the one, two, three kid heel, you look back at it and you go, you know what? The friendship and the feud, it was really only like two years, if that. It was like a little under two years that they had this huge thing, this build through the feud, then becoming uh, the bestest of friends to then the bitterest of enemies and then ending with the, 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 horrible baby uh, doll match or whatever the hell they called it. The other uh, cry baby match uh, quite the trajectory for the two of them. But what about the heel one, two, three kid joining the, uh, the million dollar corporation? You know what to think about that is I think anytime a wrestler turns heel, I think it can only make them better because I feel like a heel is in some ways deep down inside of us, kind of what we always are. We always like to be that snarky kind of sarcastic person who knows we're good, but as far as you know, how it pertained to the one, two, three kid, I didn't mind it. I think he was one of those guys who, much like a Brett, could go out there and work with anybody, and he proved that. Yeah. But I think with a little bit of an attitude, it even kind of made it a little bit better. And I think over the years, his mic skills increased and got much, much better. So I think him turning heel was an awesome thing for them to do. All right, so how about with the top guys? We kind of have the debate here. We say, all right, you know, there's basically a a small grouping. Even though, you know, we looked at the 80s, we go, oh, Hogan, oh, Piper, oh, uh, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, you know, Andre. We we look at those guys, say, all right, now you could kind of place them one, two, three, four, five. So with this one, we kind of say, all right, Brett, Sean, Diesel, Razor Ramon, Undertaker, 
And I always kind of put the Undertaker at the tail end of it because during those years, Undertaker was kind of quiet and just like, you know, not mid-card fodder. He obviously was not. But I mean, like, he was never the marquee guy. He had, you know, marquee matches. He had a world title feud with uh, Bret Hart and big feud with Diesel. But who do you kind of put in that grouping towards the top? Do you just go with the Bret Sean one, too? Where's your kind of uh, formation of those five guys? And oh. Oh, by the way, sorry to interrupt. You also can't forget Lex Luger had a pretty damn big imprint in the first few, you know, I'd say t- almost two years of that new generation. I was going to say, and I agree with you when it comes to the Undertaker thing. Uh, he would he would really start to come out of his shell, if you will, a um, little bit post this once we got into the Attitude Era. Right. But yeah, he really was. He was a, I don't want to say a forgotten character, but when you have a lot of larger-than-life personalities and Mike's skills are a big thing, he did kind of fall back a little bit. Um, now to answer your question, who would I say? I did like Davey. Um, I did like Lex. I thought Yokozuna was very interesting as well. I think it was neat that they brought somebody like that in that was so unique and so different. They didn't have somebody like that before. Uh, Bam Bam was in there. Yeah. I was a big Bam Bam Bigelow fan as well. And I was really excited to see, and this may be going to the new generation before we got into it, Sid. And I finally found like, you know, some Sid stuff was really starting to work out. Um, so I, I would agree with you with the, with the Brett, the Sean, Diesel uh, combination. But yes, I would definitely throw in Lex. I would throw in Yoko, um, Sid definitely as well. You know, they called Diesel the leader of the new generation. And then when he left, Shawn Michaels, I even saw as I was reviewing some of the stuff for the Bulldog feud, literally in his Tron video that was on the small raw screen, said new generation leader inside of the the video. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was never a Shawn Michaels guy, so I can't say that anything that he did was towards the top of my list. I always found him very entertaining. I always liked his matches. You know, I thought he had great flair. Um... You know, he has a little bit of a uh, issue with a co-host of mine on another podcast. But, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's not my story to tell. So I don't have to go into that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just uh, I, I kind of put Brett at the top of that echelon. You know, he's he's right there, even though if you kind of break it down, Brett is gone from basically March of 96 to November of 96. So he misses a giant chunk of time. So it's just kind of funny, you know, how do you really give anybody the nod? Because everybody either missed time or missed cast for a little bit, you know, Diesel and uh, Razor Ramon leave. So it's kind of hard. Uh, Lex Luger's on top of the world, and then he's basically uh, nothing until he leaves. It's just, it's an interesting few years. That's why we got to, we got to introduce this to people and let you kind of make these decisions. Um for yourself. I'll ask you a few more questions before we wrap up. Just a couple more of the, uh, the personal faves and some of the uh, little more uh, integral parts of your fandom during the uh, new generation era. But so we've been talking about it for a few weeks, building this up. Uh, this kind of came out of, uh, we reviewed, we reviewed, we, we went over the ringmasters debut um, a couple weeks ago. We talked about the million dollar corporation a couple weeks ago. And every time, we talk about this. It intersects with the storyline of the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith and Shawn Michaels, where Diana Hart, the British Bulldog's wife, Bret Hart's sister, is brought onto television for the first time in a way that we had never seen her before. We've seen her in the crowd. We've been introduced to her as Bret Hart's sister and the Bulldog's wife. But now we're being told 
that Shawn Michaels in 1996 terms, they didn't say it this, you know, broadly, but was, you know, sexually harassing <laughs> Diana Hart during a pay-per-view while he was wrestling in the main event. So for WWF 1996, this is a pretty heavy storyline to tackle a subject like this. Now, what do you remember about it looking back? So I guess looking back here, I think that, you know, Bulldog, obviously they were looking to do something with Bulldog. And then obviously Sean was the top guy coming off of the big match against uh, Bret Hart, the, the Iron Man match. I guess it, to my best understanding, the way, and it didn't come across this way at all, but it was to make, I, I thought it was going to be to get sympathy for Davey, to be honest with you, but that didn't exactly happen because more people align themselves with Sean. Right. But it, it, it's an interesting choice, and you got to be careful when you start doing the whole spouse on TV thing because yeah. I, I do remember her promo sort of interview in-ring thing. Yeah. Um, boy, she sounds like Brett on the yeah. mic. Yeah. Oh, my God, that <laughs> yeah. voice. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So it all takes place the day after the In Your House uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies pay-per-view, which oddly enough was in Omaha, Nebraska. So not necessarily what would jump off the page in terms of a, uh, you know, hotspot for a pay-per-view, especially the, the likes of uh, Kevin Nash's last WWF pay-per-view until 2002 uh, and the blow off between him and the guy he was tied to since the moment he stepped through the front door of the company in 93. So it's kind of funny. It's in Omaha, Nebraska, a sellout, 9,000 people. So we didn't even hit 10,000 people. It's in a smaller uh, venue, but this takes place the night after at Monday night raw. Uh, the date is April 29th, 1996. Again, a $4,000 or 4,000 seat arena, 3,200 paid attendees for a Monday night raw taping that not only saw this angle being shot, but literally saw pretty much about the next month of television taped in front of them. Uh, oddly enough, because the WWF would be going to Kuwait during this time. So uh, you got to see this promo in the ring uh, kind of uh, towards the front half of the show. And basically it was congratulating Shawn Michaels on his hard fought victory. Uh, Jim Cornette is in the ring with uh, Diana and the bulldog and Jim Cornette cuts pretty much his best promo. I would say to this point, as a heel manager, you know, and not just as a commentator, you know, with Shawn Michaels that night. Yeah, no, I think he did an amazing job. I mean, you can say what you want about Jim Cornette, but the one thing he does is he's much, he's must see TV. And when he has a microphone, it is unbelievable what he says. I think he said a hundred thousand things in about a two minute stretch. He did. But what he did do is he elicited a lot of emotion and he was selling it so hard that Shawn Michaels was this uh, deviant and there were so many different uh, words that he used um, but it was so good because it was very very believable and uh, I remember it as if it was yesterday he, he calls him basically he says he's a deviant he calls him a sexual deviant he calls him a fornicator he, he calls him uh, you know trying to break up he says he's trying to break up a marriage he's uh, you know uh, breaking the uh, the vows of the Smith family, like it's it's pretty heavy stuff, and and it's also it's not very long. It's like you know five six minute segment, uh, but he just literally is you know classic Jim Cornette, you know just rapid fire insult after insult after insult, and, and as I'm rewatching it, I'm sitting there going like, man, I feel bad for the bulldog. I can't believe that this poor guy is just standing here while yeah. these accusations are getting thrown out, and I'm I'm finding myself. 
giving that sympathy to Davy Boy Smith, not to the champion who's being accused of it because, you know, he's the heartbreak kid. He's the ladies man. He's the guy who all the girls are killing themselves to get to. Um, and then when after, when Jim Cornette's done and Diana steps to the mic and grabs and she says, you know, Sean, I know you want me. That's all she says in the whole entire promo. That's it. She says five words. And um, that's all it needed to be done. It didn't need to be a long-winded thing. It it didn't, and just and that's the beauty of when you have people like Sean and Cornette, people who can literally play volley like uh, you know, like McEnroe and, and and Pete Sampras. I mean, they can just go back and forth. But yeah, you see Bulldog in the background, and you almost have to you have to say to yourself, "Is this guy going to do anything?" Like he's back there, he looks a little downtrodden about the whole situation, and. I, I don't know. I Like I said before, I feel like we were trying to get sympathy for Davey because of what Sean was doing to Diana, but then all of a sudden everybody was still in Camp Sean, so it was a little odd the way the crowd was reacting versus what I think they were trying to get over as the new story. And Vince is doing everything that he basically can to make you believe Shawn Michaels is the greatest champion that they've ever had. I mean, oh, absolutely. He, and, and you literally, if you know, if you if you've ever heard rumors about the relationship with Vince McMahon and Shawn Michaels, you literally see the the like the admiration he has for Shawn Michaels while he's holding the mic, you know, in his classic blue Vince blazer, you know, matching pants, and he's got that mic up to Shawn, and you could just see his face. He's beaming, beaming from from ear to ear. And they mentioned, you know, a month ago, nobody thought that Shawn Michaels could beat Bret Hart and, you know, stand up to the style of that match. And he withstood 63 minutes and beats Bret. Nobody thought he could beat Diesel in a, in a street fight. And look what he did. He held the belt again. He's here tonight and he's a fighting champion and blah, 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 blah. But we kind of knew the Bulldog as the reason Bulldog turned heel in 95 was that he was frustrated. He wasn't getting the opportunity. So now you're seeing this guy who you really didn't want to turn heel the year before, getting somewhat of an opportunity. It looks like they're giving it to him. They didn't necessarily say it, but you, now you're feeling bad for him. So you're like, damn, is Bulldog the baby face here? Like, what happened? It was super confusing on a couple different levels because, like you said, you're trying to figure out wh what are we supposed to be doing here? And I think that was the kind of feeling out process because you have Sean. And you just put him with Brett. You just put him with Diesel. Now what's going to be the next thing you're going to use Sean with? Okay, now we're going to team him, uh, you know, put him up with with the Bulldog here. But the Bulldog never speaking on the mic, never saying anything, never getting in Sean's face about, hey, <laughs> hey, you, get your damn hands off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there was none of that. So it was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> I kind of get it, I guess. Channeling his inner George McFly, I guess, huh? He's Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> hey, you, get your damn hands off her. Yes, there you go. That's ch channeling his inner George McFly. I think the Bulldog was saying a little more regal sounding with his British accent. Um, now, how about this? So in the promo, they show a piece of video from the pay-per-view the night before where a little bubble shows that Diana Smith was uh, approached by a crew member who said Jim Cornette was in the back, blah, blah, blah. As the weeks and months would unfold, they they brought her to the back where, you know, the angle they shot it on, it made it look like, you know, she was making out with Shawn Michaels or Shawn Michaels is propositioning her. It ended up really being a setup. Okay. It was all a ruse, blah, 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 blah. They figured that out kind of early, uh, but it would lead to the matches that they had. And, and like I said, in this night of uh, tapings, 
April 29th, 1996. They taped the April 29th edition of Raw, the May 6th edition of Raw, the May 13th edition of Raw, the May 20th edition of Raw. So they had to squeeze that many weeks of television out in one shot where if you were there from the beginning of the night and you saw that segment to kick off your, your evening of wrestling, the last thing that you see is Davey Boy Smith defeats uh, or uh, fights uh, Jake Roberts to a no contest when he attacks Shawn Michaels, who was doing guest commentary at ringside, um, you know, which basically would help build up to the Beware of Dog pay-per-view in May. So you're sitting there in one night watching five weeks of TV, right? By the end of it, you don't know what the hell is going on until you watch it on television. But we've just watched this epic thing unfold because in between on all the syndicated shows, you've gotten promos from each guy. I didn't do this. Yes, you did. Here's Clarence Mason. We have the proof. We're going to sue you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's this roller coaster ride to get to the Beware of Dog pay-per-view where what the hell is going to happen? Is Bulldog going to avenge his wife or is he going to win the world title? Yeah, but here's the question. Let me ask you this, Chad. This is where it kind of made me scratch my head and say, huh, <laughs> okay, if we are led to believe that the reason Diana went to the back was because something was happening with Jim Cornette, right? So follow me on this. So production guy grabs Diana because something's happening with Jim. Now, I, I don't know the wherewithal when it comes to Diana, <laughs> what, what she's trained in, BJJ or <laughs> – taekwondo or whatever what the hell is she gonna do? like i get it you have to get her physically back oh, it's camp cornet you know they they all stick together that's why yeah good point maybe i'm overthinking things yeah thinking, come on jim Cornette. what the hell is she doing sorry her husband's representative you know there's a financial obligation there so you know you got to check on jimmy see uh see what he's doing before we talk about beware of dog i just want to i love going and kind of skimming through what this card had to offer right to those in attendance so not only do you saw all these weeks of television yeah, we're originally supposed to see the Ultimate Warrior versus Diesel, okay, in a dark match. Oh, wow. And, and Razor Ramon versus Goldust, but both were canceled as Razor and Diesel were now gone as of uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies. But on this show, during all these tapings, how about this? You get the Ultimate Warrior against Isaac Yankum, which is Isaac Yankum's last appearance as Isaac Yankum until he returns as the fake diesel five months later. Isn't that ridiculous? Like it's crazy what you would have seen. I mean, think about, okay. So if you pay a ticket, it's just a one-stop shop price and you get to sit and watch all that. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good God. Would you have done that? Would you have, I mean, um, I had never been to a raw taping to that extent. Now I went to a raw, uh, I went to the first ever Monday night raw at Madison square garden in 97, which was the, the night that Steve Austin stuns Vince McMahon for the first time. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Cactus Jack debuts. It, it, epic show. Epic, epic show. That night they taped shotgun. Okay. They also taped something else, uh, before it, there was a dark match after it. So you were there for a good three and a half, you know, almost four hours, but not, to this extent, this you're probably there for five or six hours. Um, bell time was probably six o'clock, you know, for, for all we know, because this, this was in Sioux City, Iowa. This uh, they could have been on at two o'clock in the afternoon. For I all was going to say, <laughs> what the hell's going on in Sioux City, Iowa? No but, offense to any Iowa listeners, but I mean, come on. Goodness gracious. But how about the fact that like, all right, so you get all these marquee raw matches, right? You see the bulldog fight like three times on this taping, right? 
So the Bulldogs, like he's he's on un, he's unbelievable going into this match with Shawn Michaels. But the dark match that they have on the beginning, the, the history of WWE.com, great resource, amazing. If you don't ever reference it for something, you're you're missing out. They have the one of the dark matches listed on the show as the Undertaker pins mankind with the tombstone. Okay. Mm. The date is April 29th, 1996. This is before they ever were f- beginning their feud. So yes. this is a, f- you were there to feel out the chemistry the between yep. mankind and the undertaker. That that's to me, that's why I love this shit. <laughs> that that's the price of admission right there. Just to find out, would this work if we did it? And let's go ahead and let's do a trial run. And my God, I still can't get over the Isaac Yankum ultimate warrior potential situation here. Like, yeah. That is cr- Do you remember the Isaac Gankum promos at the dentist oh, office yeah. with Waller? Oh, abso- hell, hell yeah. Absolutely. Oh, those were so, I mean, damn, WWE's production is spot on. Yeah. No, they, they know how to build a character for sure. Um, but then kind of scanning through, you know, the Superstars tapings were in Des Moines, Iowa. The next day, you know, again, f- one, two, three, five weeks worth of shows. Uh, but like I mentioned, so they go to Kuwait. And they do the Kuwaiti Cup. Now, we reviewed the Kuwaiti Cup to an extent a couple weeks back. And it's basically, it's the uh, Ahmed Johnson coming out party. They make Ahmed Johnson look like he's the greatest wrestling uh, athlete and most powerful man in the history of mankind. Uh, Great showcase for Ahmed. But during this, they shoot an angle between the Bulldog and Shawn Michaels. Okay? Shawn Michaels is on the beach in Kuwait. The bulldog attacks Shawn Michaels and tries to drown him. Oh my god! In Kuwait, you know, and the uh, uh, camcorders there filming the whole thing. So that was dropped in between those shows that we're talking about. Were taped that same night. They shot an angle like two weeks later, basically. Good grief! They're they're investing a lot of time into this, and, and I mean, I give them credit, but. Um... I wonder at the end of the day if they'll look back at the feud and they'll say it definitely turned out the way we had wanted, or if they'll look back and say, uh, eh, left a lot to be desired. Yeah. And we'll we'll get to that because that's yeah, that's basically the you know, the kind of overarching thing of this is that it starts off so hot and like almost like it starts off at its peak and works its way backwards rather than it starts off slow and works its way up. You kind of instead of building to the crescendo, you crescendoed and worked your way back to the building of so said crescendo, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just one of those things. So uh, the build was for the good friend, or excuse me, the beware of dog pay-per-view. Now you remember beware of dog, uh, yes. why that is so uh, uh, special in the, uh, the WWE history. Yeah, no, that was totally different. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like with all the different things that they were, I think attempting to try to do beware of dog. Definitely is in the annals of time as one of those WWF pay-per-views that a lot of people, um, I don't know. It kind of depends on what side of the fence you're on. Some people think it's incredibly memorable. And I've actually talked to some people who say, <laughs> and not so much well, for it's me. Memorable because of the storm that knocked out the power. So and everything's dark. If it wasn't for that, it, it would be literally your run of the mill pay-per-view because nothing happens on it, except for the fact there was a giant storm that passed through Florence, South Carolina that knocked out the power. And what they did was because, and for all the people that say the show should have stopped when Owen Hart died, the power was out and Vince sent everybody out to wrestle in the dark. So you got to sit there and watch shadows have a match 
in front of a crowd full of people and because the quote show must go on. So the pay-per-view took place on a Sunday. The power was lost. So what do they do? Well, we just owe all these people who just bought this show. We have to do it Tuesday. So on raw, they were like, Hey, wow. What a controversial ending. We have to now do this match and these, these matches over again. So you got two iterations of the bulldog and Shawn Michaels one that nobody could literally see. And two, the match that nobody could see now with the lights on. And that's what you got. And the, and it's, it was not good. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. And, and the thing that gets me is can you, and I haven't checked this out yet. Can you still go on the network and see the, the lights out match is. I, I think what they do is, is they, they show you up to where the power goes out and uh, then they show you where they pick it up. I, I, I haven't looked at it in a very long time. I think when the network first dropped, that was one of the first things I did check to see if they did kind of show you some of the dark matches, quote, <laughs> ha ha dark matches, yep. literally, literally dark matches. Um, but I think they kind of just transitioned. And I believe it was the Savio Vegas, Steve Austin matches where they lose the power. How, how do you go out there and do your thing? I mean, I'm trying to remember, and, and this is just me going on memory. I don't know how dark it was. Um, if there was any like still shots that are on Google or anything, I'd like to look back at those again because memory just it doesn't serve me well when it comes to some of these things. But how dark was it? Do you remember in particular how dark it was? It was dark enough where they had auxiliary lights that were kind of, you know, you, if you're in an arena like that, they have those emergency lights that, okay, if you're in the second deck, maybe like literally above your head. So you could see from where the cameras were positioned, you could see the shadows of the guys. You can make out, you know, okay, that's Yokozuna, that's Vader. <laughs> but you couldn't make out that, you know, there was a you know a suplex that just took place or a you know Good a, God. a stomp. Um, but the match itself, when they reshot it and it did air on um on the uh, uh on the actual pay-per-view that was done on the Tuesday night, um it was kind of what you call like a fuck finish. It was a, a non-ending. Right. It was uh, you know, who got their shoulder up first, you know, Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, holds up, quote, holds up the title, even though Shawn Michaels is still technically the champion. One referee holds up the Bulldog's hand. One referee holds up Shawn Michaels' hand. So they have to have the rematch at the King of the Ring. Wonders never cease, Benham, but I guess the show must go on even when electricity goes out. So that was in Florence, South Carolina. They move on to Fayetteville, North Carolina to tape one, two, three, Four, di- uh, yeah, four editions of Raw to bring you to mid-June, where then the next night they would tape a Superstars. It would tape f- one, two, three, four weeks of Superstars um, and build you to King of the Ring. Now, on the house shows, Shawn Michaels, on the way to Beware of Dog, was finishing out with Diesel, and Diesel was finishing out his contractual obligations. On the build to the King of the Ring, Shawn Michaels is facing Gold Dust. Oh, jeez. On the shows. So are the right, right off the bat, that tells me they don't have any kind of faith in this program, that they're no. not even working the matches on the house shows. Any match that's going to have any kind of credence on a pay-per-view would go the house show loop. How did it work in Tampa, Florida? How did it work in Albany, New York? How did it work in Chicago? And here you're getting <laughs> Shawn Michaels and basically a champion versus champion match with Goldust. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where back at that time, and tell me if you agree, that I feel like it was just 
I don't want to say fly by the seat of your pants, but I think when so many moving parts were going on right now, like you said before, you know, the diesel razor Ramon thing was happening. I think there was a lot of skepticism as far as what can we do? How are we going to make this thing work? How are we going to continue to stay competitive? I think they were just kind of trying to throw things together and see what would work. But yeah, it, it, it didn't. There was no continuity. And like you said before, if you're going to have a big build up to a pay-per-view, these guys are going to be working together around the horn and it just wasn't happening. So a lot of fans didn't get to see the buildup of that. Tampa, Florida, the Sun Dome. You get uh, Ahmed Johnson. Or no, no, this one is – no, actually, Bulldogs not down the show. Let me move down. Uh, Orlando, Florida. You get Davey Boy Smith and Owen Hart defeat Jake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson. And in the main event, Shawn Michaels pins IC champion Goldust. Rockford, Illinois. Uh, Ahmed Johnson defeats Davey Boy Smith via disqualification. Shawn Michaels pins IC champion Goldust. We're literally on the road. Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, here. How about this for a change? Uh, you get Ahmed Johnson defeats Davy Boy Smith via disqualification, and Shawn Michaels beats Goldust in the main event. It's unbelievable. And Davy continues to lose, and other people get put over him. You know, and Shawn continues to win. It's. I wish I knew the logic behind some of this because maybe they were literally just scattered you know looking for something that would work or what are they going to do because were all these guys i don't know if you are familiar with this world a lot of these guys under contract or was it a situation where it was like a handshake no, deal no they were still under no at this point everyone was still yeah, under yeah okay. everybody because all right look so now if we want to go down the timeline june 96 that's where the game changed there was a rumor the bulldog was going to wcw at one point and was supposed to join the nwo and could have potentially been the quote third man at bash at the beach but bulldog is signed until nine, the end of well he gets out of his contract in 97 but i believe bulldog was either on a one-year deal maybe bulldog if anybody was coming up but not Shawn michaels Shawn michaels wasn't going anywhere you know right and gold, you know, gold dust isn't going anywhere, and mankind's not going anywhere, and Ahmed Johnson's not going anywhere. Uh, I remember just to divert to you know NWO rumors. Bulldog rumored to join the NWO in '96, potentially be the third man. And I hate to say it, folks, and this was true. And if you weren't a fan back then, or you just discovering it for the first time, Yokozuna was rumored to be the third man and a member of the NWO. Well, let me ask you this once again on a little divergent thing. Let's say it was Davey, or let's say it was Yoko, right? And it wasn't the Hulk. Do you do you think it it would have even had any chance of working? No, I think it would have been it would have been DOA on arrival. See see retribution on uh, WWE television today. As little Touché. as I know about WWE television, when they just revealed who their leader was. <laughs> I mean, if you could flush a toilet, if I had a sound effect for a toilet flush right now, I would hit it because that's <laughs> that's exactly what it had been. Nothing against Yoko. Yoko's a great performer. Uh, right. You know, it has his place in history, but not in that group. And and no. even though the B, it would have been a BSK click uh, crossover, um, wouldn't have worked. Same thing with Bulldog. I mean, he just he wasn't cool. Now, if you said, hey, uh, let's put Sting in that spot, would it have worked? I would say yes. Hey, let's put the Macho Man in that spot. Would it have worked? I would say yes. Yeah, I think there's very few people that could have fit in that third guy because what you're looking for is, at the time, it was believed to be they're taking over type of deal. And right. are you really going to be taking over with some of these guys? You're, you're really going to need a marquee name to bring um, credibility to the group. And not that, that Diesel and Razor didn't have it, but you just you need that 
strong foundational piece that says, okay, this is legit. I can see them running with this for a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, spoiler alert, hate to bring it to you. Shawn Michaels beats Bulldog, and that's it. King of the Ring 96. It's over. <laughs> Feud's done. Great start. Really shit finish to even go as far as, okay, in July, we're going to have Camp Cornette take on the ultimate babyface team, which was supposed to be HBK, Ahmed Johnson, who's now the IC champion, and the ultimate warrior. Ultimate warrior is fired. Sid takes his place. Vader pins Shawn Michaels. Vader now gets that title spot that could have, I guess, still been the Bulldogs, and the Bulldog is back to the mid-card. So Just it is. Like that. <laughs> Just like that. That's WWE right there. Unbelievable how quickly things can change. They could change in the blink of an eye or in the time it takes to get a super kick that ends your entire uh two-month feud uh, that started off with one of the more defining promos of the era by Cornette because it was, you know, saying some sexualized uh, dialogue that we didn't hear before. Uh, I remember listening to that and even seeing the replay back on the, the weekend shows. You know, on the weekend shows, there's more people in the house and being like, I got to turn the volume down here a little bit. This is a little, it's a little racy that, you know, yep. we're hearing all this, uh, this nasty talk here out of James E. But, um, Nonetheless, um, you know, if you were going to go back and give it a grade, what would you say? Um, instead of a let, – let's give it a letter grade. We'll be easy. I, I'm going to personally say it probably falls into the C family, C, C minus. It, <laughs> it, it started off great, but it just pff, went right downhill. I would go C minus, and, and here's the reason why I say C minus. I, I'm not going to go D category. I mean, I'm not that far from the D category, be giving a C minus. I feel like it had the potential to be good, but I feel like it the, the execution was just poor. I don't feel like they ever really gave Davey much of a chance. I don't feel like the the office, if you want to call him, that really got behind Davey and really wanted to make it something special. I felt like you, you had touched upon this at the top of the show. There was so much admiration that Vince had for Sean, and it was almost to the point where you could see the glowingness you just got a feeling that, you know what, they're never going to take this off of him right now. Um, they're never going to have somebody go over him right now. He's the golden goose, et cetera, et cetera. And then that kind of leads into, well, how much involvement or say-so did, uh, did Sean actually have back behind the scenes? It's tough to say at that point because, you know, he's jockeying sort of for position. I mean, he's got Vince's ear, but I can't necessarily say he has that same power that he would have, you know, a little more influentially, uh, you know, six months from this time. But I, I think he definitely had Vince's ear uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but it maybe it just they, they couldn't rely on the Bulldog for it. And I, I love the Bulldog. So, I mean, I'm not going to say anything ill of the deceased, but I, I love the Bulldog. It just it wasn't in the cards, I guess. So if, if you were Vince or you were the, 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 the booking committee, what would the reasons be that you could give for not putting it on Bulldog? Bulldog going over Sean. If you could find anything, any reason why. Mm, all right. Just unless it was going to be, all right, he beats him in a shock. At, see, here's what I would do. I would have had him beat him when the lights were out. Ooh, I, okay. I can see that. Okay. And whether or not he just loses it right back to him at the Tuesday Here's the shock. While the lights were out, the Bulldog won the world title. We don't know how. We don't have the footage. It happened in the dark. Did they cheat? And then Tuesday, Shawn how. Michaels wins it back. Yeah. 
and so now Bulldog you, wants his belt back. So right? do you not do you not have the the most confidence that Bulldog could have filled that spot? Uh, I don't know. It's just it's not that confidence. It's just that I I just don't think outside of Shawn Michaels, like what world title feud? Maybe Brett coming back and Brett being the guy chasing Bulldog. I don't, I don't really even see that as like viable. Yeah, because here's the problem with that. Where are you going to create the heat from? Like right. at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so let's say Brett does want to come back and, and challenge Bulldog to uh, vanquish the loss at Wembley Stadium if you want to go with that. Okay, so is that it? Is it just one of those? Well, but they had like three other matches between <laughs> Wembley and this time. They had an epic uh, title match in December at, at the uh, in your house, uh, bloody, bloody, bloody match in Hershey Park, and they had another match, I believe, in somewhere in Canada uh, as well. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just not something that pops off the page. So I guess there just wasn't really any. And you, come on, what are you gonna put Ahmed Johnson? In that role, or maybe they thought maybe the warrior. If the warrior was to hang around, it's an easy way to get the belt on the warrior. Do you think the warrior had one more good run left in him? With yes, the belt? I think it. I think the plan was I, they talked about it. Says that warrior would have gotten a world title run. That somewhere there is a uh, one of the DVDs revealed a poster that had him introduced as WWF champion. Oh, so wow. yeah, so that's and it was in like the, it was a summer show of some sorts, like an outdoor show. Um, but I don't know. They, I mean, uh, Larry Hennig always said that Kurt Hennig was supposed to get the, uh, the WWF title in 96 when he came back. So, you don't, you know, you don't know. So many things that we can speculate about what could have happened, what should have happened. I think that's what makes talking about wrestling, especially in a retrospective position, so much fun Yeah, because we, we can look at what happened and we can say, okay, that was shit. Or right. eh, I kind of see where they were going here. Exactly. And that's like what I said at the beginning. We're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're not here to tell you anything that's not already out there. All we're doing is we're taking these years of uh, digesting it, talking about it in other realms and other podcasts and with friends and reading and yada, 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 and kind of sifting through the good parts and getting it back out to you in another realm. Bruce Pritchard's talked about this storyline like crazy. Jim Cornette has talked about the storyline like crazy. So if you want like the professional opinion, just go listen to their stuff. They'll tell you everything you need to know. We're just saying what we saw from the fan perspective during that time. Um, but before I wrap up and say goodbye. So, you know, we talked about favorites, blah, 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 blah. You said you had uh, the Brett shirt, this, that. What is your marquee new generation memory? Is it is it a show? Is it a piece of merchandise? What's your thing that you right off the bat, jumps off the top of your brain as your marquee new generation moment for you personally. Oh, oh, oh wow. My marquee new generation. Could moment. be getting the magazine every month. It could be anything that involves that era. You, you just search your brain and give me something. I guess I would have to say there was a couple of new guys that I really did like. And this is going to sound a little crazy, but I was a big Adam bomb guy too. <laughs> I liked Adam Bomb. I know that may sound kind of goofy. The creation I, of devastation. <laughs> yes, but there was something believable about him. Um, I, I, I like the nostalgic moment of when was it? Was it during this era? Correct me if I'm wrong, but when Backlund became yes. the WWF champion again, yes. I, I thought that was cool too. So yeah, some of the creation of the new stars bring back some of the old stars. I did like them bringing back Bundy again. 
I did like when Backlund won the championship again. Um, that would probably be my cool. my two memories there. So yeah, I like it. It's uh, it's always fun to go back and look. Everybody's got a different take on it, and it's uh, that's what's the, that's what the beauty of the new generation is, man. We just go back and we declassify it in some way, uh, shape, or form. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. So uh, like I build you at the top of the show, FRM, Front Row Material, MLW Network, uh, Jerry Lynn, Mikey Whipwreck. Please tell the uh, the fine folks, the listeners of the TMPT Empire, where they can find everything going on in the, in the world of Mike Freeland. Yeah. If you guys want to go ahead and hop on Twitter, you can follow us at FRM Podcast. You can follow Jerry Lynn at It's Jerry Lynn, Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, at Mikey Whipwreck underscore shows for row material. We come into your listening uh, audiences and your ears every single uh, Friday on the, on the uh, MLW radio network. Mikey and I also do a show that usually comes out on Wednesdays uh, called the false finish. And uh, that's another show we do both on the MLW radio network. So we're having a lot of fun. We're coming up on our two year anniversary on MLW and uh, it's crazy to, to think about how quickly time has gone by, but we have gone up and down the road with stories. Um, we've talked about all different things, ECW and things outside of ECW, as far as their careers are, are concerned. And you can find us anywhere. Uh, you get your podcasts, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of good stuff. It's uh, I can say this, that uh, Freeland is one of the good guys in the podcasting world. And uh, where there's a lot of stuff said about other podcasts between podcasts, a lot of trash talking. Freeland is one of the good guys. So uh, full endorsement here uh, from me. No, no doubt. And I appreciate you coming on and stepping in for the uh, the, the crack broadcast team who hopefully will get well soon um, and, uh, you know, get back to business at some way, uh, some way or another. But if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB, Twitter, Instagram, if you want to get more from the TMPT Empire, it's tmptempire.com. You get all the podcast links there, all the interviews that John's doing on the flagship and the features, as well as Dr. Tom Pritchard, all of that on tmptempire.com, as well as if you want to check out more stuff with me, you can check out uh, Francine's podcast on Patreon, as well as the Triple Threat podcast with me, John, and the franchise Shane Douglas on the Russo brand every single week. So, for Mr. Freeland, who uh, graciously gave us some time tonight, this is the Chadster, and we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.